Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hey, everybody, welcome back to another episode of Believe in the Jaguars right here on the Believe Podcast Network. My name is Phil Smith, a.k.a. Phil the Filipino. And as always with me here is James Johnson, the managing editor of the Jaguars Wire over on USA Today. And Jay, we're getting an opportunity here to record this just a few hours after the game ended uh, with the Jaguars and the Titans. And uh, man, we, it was um, <laughs> it did definitely was not as competitive, I think, as we were hoping it to be. Uh, but we are definitely going to discuss the ins and outs of the games, as well as talk about some information that was put out there this morning by Adam Schefter. Uh, but before we get into all of that, Jay, how are you doing this weekend? And yeah, of course, always, um, always excited to get together with you and talk about this team. Yeah, man, I'm doing a whole hell of a lot better than the Jaguars right now after that thrashing that Derrick Henry put on them, man. Like, oh, my God, man. Uh, but, yeah, I can't complain, man. Um, three more games left. We're we're in the final stretch, as I said last week, the last quarter of the season. Uh, can't wait to talk some more football as usual. And as usual, shout-outs to all our listeners and all of the support they've been giving us. And, uh, yeah, man, can't wait to get this thing on the road, man. Yeah, guys, you know, as you mentioned, lots to talk about here on this episode. But before we do that, again, as Jay mentioned, thank you to everybody that has gone over to Apple Podcasts and left those five-star reviews. That is one of the best ways you can support the show. So thank you very much. So if you haven't gotten a chance to do that, please head on over to Apple Podcasts and subscribe as well as leaving a review. You can also find us over on Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, and TuneIn. Of course, we're on Believe.com and at Believe Podcast as part of the awesome Believe Library. You can tweet the show at Believe in Jags Pod. You can find myself at Phil the Filipino, F-I-L-I-P-I-N-O. And Jay is over at SportsGrind underscore Don. And of course, you can also check out the JaguarsWire.com for all of the up-to-date Jacksonville Jaguar news. I do also want to give a special shout out to our sponsor. The NFL season is in full swing. And, you know, while we may not be at the games this year, Jay, we can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Of course, the NBA season is coming upon us, and I feel like I do mention this almost every week, Jay, but I just have to remind all you NBA fans out there, Luka Doncic is the overwhelming favorite to win MVP this year. I think he's got it in the bag, Jay. Of course, Giannis Antetokounmpo follows him. Steph Curry in a comeback year, possibly. And then LeBron, Anthony Davis, guys like that are on the list as well. But I'm going to be heading over to Bet Online and putting some money down on my boy Luka. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, Bet online gives you more options to waiver than any place online. And there's always the online casino as well. It never closes. So head to betonline.ag today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Again, that's betonline.ag and sign up today. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. So, Jay, as you mentioned, this was the Derrick Henry show. After doing a pretty good job at bottling him up early on in the season, he went off today. 26 carries, 215 yards two touchdowns, and that was with him sitting out most of the fourth quarter. It was also a really great showing for A.J. Brown, seven catches, 112 yards, and then that absolutely ridiculous one-handed catch and on that throw from Ryan Tannehill. So 
defensively, they struggled. You know, there were, of course, a couple of bright spots here, but we normally start on the offensive side of the ball. Let's start in the defense because they just struggled so mightily here today. And Jay, I said this when we had a chance to join our colleagues over on Believe in Titan. Shout out to Davy and Denard. I said, you know, this could possibly be a close game just because of the familiarity between the two teams. But I also wouldn't be surprised if Tennessee went out there to try and make a statement. And that is exactly what they did. Yeah, man. And boy, did they ever make a statement between, I mean, Derrick Henry running wild on them. And then uh, as well as A.J. Brown, A.J. Brown came out there in the pregame warm up. I don't know if you saw that in a Julio Jones jersey. And it's like he just he channeled his inner Julio on us and just just went to town on us, man. Like like we were the Carolina Panthers or one of his enemies or something over there in the <laughs> NFC South. But, yeah, man, they, they had no answers for neither one of those guys. I mean, like I thought. With Sidney Jones coming back, and uh, shout out to him because he has played well when he's been there. But I thought with Sidney Jones coming back, uh, that would help some, but it didn't um, because, you know, A.J. Brown pretty much had his way when Sidney was on him. But, I mean, then again, like that first catch, that the highlight catch that you mentioned was just miraculous in itself, man. Like, because at first, I mean, if you look at that play, it kind of looked like he was covered to begin with. And then he kind of had a burst of speed, like towards the end of the route, which I mean, a lot of receivers have mastered that. It's, it's kind of unique to see A.J. Brown master that at such a young age to kind of break off on a route towards the end and, and create that little bit of separation. Uh, but, yeah, man, like he he came into the game, did his thing. Um, you know, we knew coming into this game that the Jacksonville Jaguars uh, were going to basically have to stop Henry, stop him, and as well as stop Corey Davis. And uh, they, they actually did hold Corey Davis to a, a minimal amount of yards. I forgot exactly how much he had on the day. Let me look that up real quick. Yep, he had three catches for 34 yards. So they didn't let him get too out of hand. But uh, between, I guess you could say, Henry and Brown, it was pretty much their show. Uh, Ryan Tannehill did what he had to do, albeit he didn't have to do necessarily all that much. And uh, with that being the case, you know, the Jacksonville Jaguars never stood a chance because uh, they couldn't figure those two guys out alone who, you know, accumulated, what, over 300 yards worth of um the, the Titans total on the day. Yeah, just, I mean, that pretty much sums it up. There wasn't much that they could do. Just a lot of uh, um, <laughs> a lot of Dewey Wingard looking at Derrick Henry, wondering what the hell am I supposed to do with this, <laughs> especially especially on that first touchdown. And you just see him and you're like, oh, well, you know, that's definitely going <laughs> <laughs> that's not going to end well for him. Of course, they led 17 to three at halftime and then tacked on another 14 in the third quarter. And that was pretty much quiet all around for both teams in the fourth quarter. Not much going on whatsoever. So moving to the offensive side of things here, Jay, the Titans seem to come in with a very specific game plan. Don't allow James Robinson or DJ Chark to beat us. And they held both of those guys in check. Uh, now, James Robinson still did continue to make history, which we'll get to here momentarily. But DJ Chark, two catches, 16 yards, was really just bottled up by Malcolm Butler, honestly. You know, it, they mentioned it, I think, during the broadcast. It, You know, Titans did have some kind of unproven guys out in the secondary, but they didn't seem to be trying to test them as much as they kept trying to test Malcolm Butler, which was very interesting. And then James Robinson, 12 carries, 67 yards. You have 5.6 yards to carry, but 47 of those yards came on one run. And, of course, he did have the touchdown called back uh, because of the uh, illegal formation on DJ Chark. 
So if you take that away, he had 11 carries, 20 yards. So they really, really keyed in on him. Mike Glennon did not finish the day. He went 13 to 23, 85 yards and another interception. Definitely didn't look good at that point. I really think they didn't have a choice. They had to put in Minshew, who won 18 to 31, did Minshew things, 178 yards, had the touchdown pass as well. You know, he did some scrambling, did things that Gardner Minshew does that we've we've been accustomed to seeing. You know, it looked like there was some pretty good zip on the ball. It looks like the finger is held, uh, healed up nicely, which was solid. But, uh, you know, again, I, I hope this doesn't result in any fans thinking that, hey, look, he can still do it. Uh, this was all in garbage time, people. This <laughs> let's not uh, let's not pretend that this was uh, anything more than what it was. But offensively, Jay, you know, we'll get to some statistics that James Robinson was, was able to do. But what do you think it was that Tennessee was able to do in terms of just keeping this offense in check? Yeah, they it feel like they sold out against the run. And, um, you know, they proved that when, you know, you sell out against the run against this team. Uh, and, you know, in the past, you know, we've had issues of where we haven't given James Robinson the ball enough, but he just couldn't get going early in the game to where, you know, they eventually had to turn to other uh, other people on the offense for a source of, uh, you know, getting up and down the field. But, um, yeah, with them selling out against the run, it made uh, – the Jaguars turn to other people and with the DJ Chark thing, you know, I didn't really pay all that much attention to him. I have to go back and look at the film. Uh, but I do know, like, since Mike Glennon has been in thrust or uh, put into the lineup, he has missed DJ Chark on occasions when he's been open. And I think that's been an issue. And you can kind of see the frustration with that. And that may have been the case early in the game. And, and like you said, yeah, the thing was, when they went to him, they would go to him in one-on-one -on -one coverage while Malcolm Butler was on him. Like, And that's kind of Malcolm Butler's thing is man-to-man -man coverage. So, like, they never really, like, took advantage of what the defense gave them. You know, like you said, they should have uh, looked to other people on that defense to go to instead of DJ Chark when he's on their best cornerback in man-to-man -man coverage, which, you know, that's just questionable decision-making in itself but yeah like Breon Borders who is one of their starting corner former Jag was out uh it's uh, another young man uh, Adoree Jackson was out as well another starting corner if I recall that was out as well so you can see why uh Mike Glennon was basically uh benched in the place of Gardner Minshew and as you said he came in there you know he had his drive of course um and and the funny thing about Minshew however is when he came into the game you know, a lot of people on Twitter, I don't know if you were watching the timeline, but they instantly went to the whole thing of where Doug Marone was saying that he gives us the best chance to win in terms of they were talking about Mike Glennon. And, you know, like that just kind of shows you just how bad this regime has been in general with Doug Marone going and saying that uh, earlier in this month or whatever the case may be, you know, just kind of like trying to pull the wool over everybody's eyes when we all know, like, Gardner Minshew is clearly the better of the two. And we saw it in that drive because he offers mobility and he offers that ability to uh, that escapability and into prolonged plays and so on and so forth. And that's what they miss when Glennon was in there. So with that being the case, I think, you know, they'll roll with Minshew from the majority of the uh, for the last three games or whatever the case may be. Although after the game, Marone didn't make a decision on that. Uh, but I mean, like it feels like Minshew should have been in there to begin with. Not that he's the long term answer, but he's clearly the best quarterback they have. And we saw that today. And again, yeah, you're right. They were in those uh, the the moments he had was definitely in garbage time as well. So, I mean, there's that to take into consideration as well. 
Right. Gardner Minshew, like I said, did Gardner Minshew things, stuff that we are accustomed to at this point. I know a portion of the fan base was definitely excited to see him out there. And and that's great. Like we've never said anything negative about the guy personally, but just as a quarterback, we pretty much know what he is and what he isn't, which is why, you know, we are ready to bring in someone new and, and someone fresh. And uh, that'll inter- inject a little bit of excitement into the franchise. But yeah, I do want to talk about a couple of things when it comes to James Robinson, because as mentioned, Jay, he continues to make history. This in a tweet from NFL 345, James Robinson has 1,361 scrimmage yards this season, which surpasses Dominic Rhodes for the most by an undrafted rookie in the common draft era. Uh, Jay, you know, even though we said, you know, they really keyed in on him this week and made sure that he did not go off or have the success that he had in week two, he still is making history. I also uh, tweeted out earlier today uh, with him surpassing 1,000 yards on the year that does make him the third Jaguar rookie in history to do so, of course, following in the steps of Leonard Fournette and Fred Taylor. So, you know, he, he had a down game. Yes, that that's going to happen, with, especially with running backs, but it's great to continue to see James Robinson thrive and, man, just continue to make this push for uh, for Rookie of the Year votes. I don't think he's going to win. Again, he's, he doesn't play quarterback, so unfortunately that's going to be a little skewered towards somebody like Justin Herbert. But it's really great to see him continue to have success and you know just continue to prove the doubters wrong that were just absolutely shocked when the Jaguars made the move as far as Leonard Fournette earlier in the season. Yeah, and this is not the not Leonard Fournette or anything, but um, one thing, when you mentioned his name, what came to mind is, I don't know if you've seen the uh, the uh, tweets or whatever or the reports, but it looks like he's found himself in the doghouse with the um, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And uh, I don't think, I think he was inactive in their last game or something along those lines. I'm not quite sure, but I know a lot of people were making a, a lot of fuss of that. Or he's been like demoted to like the second or third string guy. Um, but, you know, again, man, just kind of just to, while, while, the reason I'm mentioning that is just to kind of show you like and, and harp on to the listeners of just how bad the past regime has been. Going back to what I was saying about Doug Marone trying to pull the wool over everybody's eyes and say Mike Glennon was better than Gardner Minshew. You know, here you have Tom Coughlin, who it feels like it, it was a lot of Tom Coughlin's doing. Maybe Dave Caldwell had a say in it, too, but took this guy in top five. And now we have a young man that we found in undrafted free agency who was killing it, putting together a rookie of the year season. Um, and that just kind of just sums up how we got where we are in terms of an organization and where we are right now. Uh, but in terms of James Robinson, man, like I couldn't be happier to have him in terms of what he's putting together, man. And, and like you said, man, he's meeting historic figures up there with Dominic Rose. Um, you mentioned Fred Taylor in terms of, you know, hitting a thousand yards um, as a rookie. So, I mean, like, you know, the bright spot of all of this, you know, like the we got beat down this, that, and the other. Uh, this year, we'll probably go down with one win. But one thing we'll be able to look back at this year is just look at how historic uh, this situation with James Robinson is as he's putting together this crazy year for an undrafted guy. They said it in the telecast, man. Like, you don't see this kind of performance out of an undrafted guy. And I think, like, some Jazz fans may be taking it for granted or maybe, like, it's so much going on to like where the we're at the point where we're kind of not like paying attention to it. But what he is doing is historic and monumental. And uh, I can't wait to see what the future holds for that young man, because as everybody know, like we'll Robinson Hive all the way here. And we've been uh, basically praising him since May 
uh, and the day he was basically drafted, which actually, I guess you could say that was April technically, but yeah, we've been praising him since day one, man. And it's just good to see him thrive and flourish. And, and I just can't wait to get more pieces with him uh, so he can, you know, get the exposure that he truly deserves. Right. The prospect of having James Robinson in the backfield for a very, very long time should be appealing for a lot of reasons. And we're going to get to that here in just a moment. Jay, we want to give out the offensive and defensive game balls. Now, offensively, of course, as we mentioned, not a whole lot going on. But, you know, you pretty much said it all right there. James Robinson's going to get the offensive game ball, even though he was pretty quiet, mostly because uh, he has had uh, he continues to make history, as we've mentioned. Uh, this was a tweet from Field Yates earlier today, Jay. He is currently on pace for 1,295 yards rushing, which would be most all time for an undrafted rookie. And uh, I'm pretty sure he's going to get it. He looks looking really, really good. Now, on the defensive side of things, we wanted to shout out a couple of people here, actually. Uh, Caleb on Chase on, man, who was uh, who got half of the game ball last week for his performance in Minnesota. He had arguably his most impressive day as a pass rusher, according to PFF. He notched three pressures, including two hits on only 11 pass rushing snaps. Looked really, really good. And then the other guy we got to give uh, a shout out to here, Jay, is Doug Costin, who continues to play well. And Jay, you said this right before we started. The main reason Doug Costin really hasn't been getting as much shine as he should is probably because of da James Robinson, his fellow undrafted free agent over here on the squad. But he continues to play well. Of course, he had the fumble recovery, uh, but, you know, he just looks great in the run defense. Uh, he had four tackles as well as a stop. Played 49 snaps today and continues to just show out. So shout out to Kayla Vaughn and Doug Costin. You know, I know Kayla Vaughn was getting a lot of heat earlier on in the year, but without Josh Allen, he has really shown up. And then, you know, we could have easily given this to Dwayne uh, Dwan Smoot again, who also looked good. So it's just nice to see these young guys going out there and playing hard and, you know, playing like it still matters because it certainly does for some of these guys who have a lot to prove. Yeah, I mean, like what I was saying with Robinson is, you know, he makes you excited about the future and, you know, he makes you excited about the what ifs. You know, what if you get a good head coach and what if you get more pieces around him and what if you get a um, quarterback around him? And like these things we're seeing on the defensive side from these young guys on defense makes you think the same thing. You know, what if you can get a guy uh, that's a better defensive coordinator than Todd Watch to help these young men out? Uh, what if they continue to basically thrive as they have or improve as they have. We keep seeing this on a week-to-week -week basis. And uh, that definitely, uh, you know, that, that definitely applies for Kayla Vaughn and Doug Costin from the Ohio uh, University, not Ohio State. We're talking about Miami, Ohio here. <laughs> the Red Hawks, if I'm not mistaken. But uh, like me, you said before the show is, you know, like he would be getting more attention if he wasn't paired up with James Robinson in the same undrafted rookie class, I mean, I was looking at it the other day. Somebody tweeted that he has a pass rush grade or a grade similar to that of Chase Young, who was what? That was the first overall pick or the second overall pick, excuse me, of the draft. And that's alarming, man. Like, that's a crazy stat in itself because here you have this young man that was undrafted performing with the big boys, essentially, and providing some kind of a push up the middle. And then, you know, yeah, like we said with Kayla Vaughn, you know, he took a lot of grief earlier in the year. And that's why, like, I'm so excited, like, to see him keep improving. I know it was like, I think that was the first quarter that he got that pressure on Ryan Tannehill and forced the errant throw, hit him from behind. And uh, according to PFF, they got a, he got another pressure somewhere in there. And I missed that one. But I mean, it's just good to see. I think had they thrown the ball a little bit more and I'm talking about the Titans. 
maybe Chase on would have got more pressures. Uh, who's to say he wouldn't? But um, that being said, still good to see him uh, continuing to improve and kind of prove the doubters wrong. And uh, hopefully, you know, he has another good game, stacks together his third one, as well as Costin as well, as uh, Lamar Jackson and company are coming into town or will be going there, should I say, uh, because they're going to really need those guys to be active against him because if he if they aren't, it's going to be a long, long day. Yeah, and it was already a long day. So think about how how much different it would have been uh, had those guys not shown out. But, you know, Jay, you know, as you mentioned, we are in the home stretch here. There's not too much left to talk about with these games, you know, as as fans, as well as analysts. We're all just kind of looking ahead to the offseason because this is going to be arguably the most important offseason in franchise history. So, of course, with the Jags falling to the Titans 31 to 10, we're going to move into some news here that came out earlier this morning from Adam Schefter, Jay, over on ESPN. And uh, this is going to wrap up our episode, but we just wanted to talk about it here. And shout out to John Shipley, who put up a uh, kind of a little graphic here of what was said over on ESPN. It states this, in Jacksonville, Doug Marone has had the Jaguars playing well the last couple of weeks. They played the Steelers very tough. They played the Minnesota Vikings very tough. There are some people around the league that believe he is actually garnering some support to stay on. Even though Jacksonville changed its general manager, Dave Caldwell, firing him recently, there are some people that believe Marone could be given a chance to stick on. We will see how the situation unfolds in the coming weeks. So, Jay, this, of course, uh, ignited a lot of conversation over on Jaguar Twitter. Uh, some people were arguing maybe he was talking about as far as the end of the year. I'm pretty sure it's, it, it seems pretty clear to me that they're talking about him staying on long term. What was your initial reaction to this? Because I'm pretty sure we had a similar response. Yeah, I mean, at first you're you're very concerned uh, because it's like how many times is Shad Khan going to and we, we don't know if this is going to be true or whatever the case may be. But how many times is Shad Khan going to, to take a half measure of which has been proven to not work for this franchise? You know, like it's like the old saying goes, how many times do you have to touch the stove before you learn that it's hot and you'll get your hand burnt? from, you know, touching the stove, essentially. Um, but that being said, though, I mean, like, I think, like, if you really look deeply into it, you see keywords like Adam Schefter mentioned some people believe that um, that Marone could stick around and so on and so forth. So, I mean, I think it's a situation we just have to watch and see how it unfolds because my my line of thinking, and I tweeted this, is, you know, when you get a new GM and you bring a new GM in, they're going to want their own head coach, essentially. Um, but my concern with that is, is Shotcon going to try to force Doug Marone on a new GM? And if that GM doesn't want Doug Marone, will that cause Shotcon to go in another direction in terms of a GM or perhaps try and keep Trent bulky? But again, that's why this is all concerning because you don't want this to be a half measure approach. I still feel like, especially, I think we got a little bit more, um, I guess you could say a little bit more clarity. I feel like Doug Marone is gone after this, uh, not only for the simple fact that another GM will want their own head coach, but just after the showing we seen today and uh, more of those could be on the horizon, by the way. So, I mean, we still have the Indianapolis Colts on the horizon uh, we still have the Baltimore Ravens and as well as the Bears on the horizon in terms of what's left on the schedule. And, you know, like I said, basically more blowouts could be on the way. Who knows? Uh, but I, I think like we may want to pump the brakes on it because, again, like the key word in there that I took out of it is 
you know, Schefter said some people. Now, it, it may hold some weight because he wouldn't have went on ESPN to just say something that, you know, was basically meaningless and didn't hold a lot of weight to it. But at the same time, I, I just think we got to wait until we see what the GM situation is before we can, uh, you know, make a call on if Doug Marone's going to be around or not. But, I mean, you would hope, you would certainly hope that Shad Khan is smart enough at this point at what almost a decade of being an owner smart enough to know that like a half measure shouldn't even be a thought. And then, I mean, like it furthermore shouldn't be a thought with a coach that is what is going to go end up with one win on the season. Albeit a lot of close losses are in there at the end of the day. If you got one win to me, what that says is that you need to get a coach that can get a team over the hump and help them finish even better than they are. And that Doug Marone hasn't mastered that yet in the over the course of the whole season. So, I mean, that's just my take on it. But I guess we'll see uh, later in the month of January. Right. I, I just can't see like you like you already said, I just can't see any GM being like, OK, that's fine. I'll, I'll work with Doug Marone. You know why? Why wouldn't you just completely clean house? And, and we've mentioned before we've gone to bat for Doug Marone, Jay, you and I have done that uh, over the last few years because, you know, there was some times where you feel like he was a little hampered because of Tom Coughlin. But we are now at the point where we need to just completely clean house and start over. And Doug Marone, he'll find work somewhere else and probably probably be pretty successful. But, you know, I don't I can't see a GM coming in and being OK with that um, because, you know, we're going to get a new combo. At least that is the hope for a lot of people. Now, a lot of people are throwing out the Trent bulky thing. Are we just going to promote him? And I, I think that would be just an absolute disaster. Fans would would riot. I, I hope that Shad Khan knows better. But I've been hoping that for a long time, and it doesn't seem to be the case. But, what, you know, that's neither here nor there. I do want to talk about this report that you wrote about here a couple of days ago here, Jay, in terms of ESPN's Jeremy Fowler and Dan Graziano talking about how the Jags vacancy is probably the uh, is, is one of the best job, if not the best job available of the four that are out there right now. And the quote, it said, quote, we've talked to a few industry sources who consider Jacksonville the best job of the four general manager openings, citing an owner who wants to win nearly $80 million in projected cap space. The angle on the number two overall pick for Ohio State's Justin Fields, presumably, and a group of good young players already in place. It's a rebuild. But if you're into that, it's a great rebuild situation, which was uh, said by an NFC executive. Another name to watch here is Patriots Pro Personnel Director Dave Zeigler. So, Jay, again, this is something we've told uh, a lot of people whenever we get a chance to join them on their podcast or their shows or, or wherever that may be, that Jacksonville should and is a very attractive destination. So honestly, when I heard this, it didn't surprise me at all because we, we've been new. <laughs> yeah, we've been new, but I think it's important because now we're hearing executives out of front office say it. You know, it's one thing for us as journalists to say it, but you know, it sometimes that doesn't align itself with what um you know the the people that's actually in the NFL are saying. So I mean, this this is proof that yeah, they feel the same way, or some of them at least do, uh, feel the same way as us. Now, in terms of uh, Zeigler, I found that kind of interesting. Um, but I mean, this isn't the first time we've heard rumors of of Shad Khan kind of being connected with Patriots, uh, disciples, if you will, or Patriot workers. Uh, because then if I can recall, Shad Khan interviewed or either Dave Caldwell interviewed him, um, whoever was a part of the interview process, uh, they interviewed Josh McDaniels, 
when they were looking for a head coach the first time, when when uh, Shad Khan was basically uh, when he basically first got the team. And then, if I can recall, they interviewed him a second time as well when they fired Gus Bradley, and eventually they ended up naming Doug Marone the head coach. Uh, but he was one of the guys, if I can recall, I, I'll have to go back and look at that, that they've interviewed. Uh, the connection to Zeitler does kind of make sense with what we've seen in the past. Um, and the funny thing about Zeitler, too, is mentioning Josh McDaniels, by the way, him and Zeitler are very good friends. And Zeitler, basically, Josh McDaniels brought, brought Zeitler into uh, Zeigler, excuse me into uh the nfl basically by um you know when he was with the broncos uh, he gave him his first job in the nfl and then i guess they followed each other to the patriots whereas i uh Zeigler has been for you know since that moment basically so uh it, when you look at it it makes sense because their head guy nick shazario is a person that's been long associated with front office opportunities but nobody can plow him from the patriots basically so it makes sense that people would look to his lieutenants and the people under him if they, they can't get him from New England, um, because for what, whatever reason, you know, he stayed in place at New England, although Bill Belichick, I guess you could say, is the general manager um, that would make him the second in command. So that being said, uh, with Zeigler, you know, popping up and his name popping up, I, I did a little research on him. And it does definitely make sense because of their fascination with Josh McDaniels, their fascination with the Patriots, at least from what we heard and uh you know I, I guess that would be interesting like i'm i used to be high on wanting josh mcdaniels but not so much anymore now like the whole colts thing turned me away um I, I did not like how he did that on the business end and i i mean i actually like frank Wright as well so i think they actually got that right by uh moving on and getting him but you know like that didn't sit well with me and you know it's just like the more and more i look at mcdaniels uh, tenure with the Broncos, not a fan, drafted Tim Tebow, tried to make that work. Um, it, it just, you know, it's just some things that don't sit well with me in terms of that. Um, but I mean, still, nonetheless, it would kind of be exciting because, you know, it provides change, as we all know, and uh, change is what we long wanted, albeit, you know, I'm kind of skeptical on the whole Josh McDaniels connection. Yeah, if you had told me a few years ago, Jay, that Josh McDaniels might be in play, I would have been a lot more excited. But just like you, it, it just really rubbed me the wrong way, the way that he went about that. And even though the Colts are an in-division rival, you know, that's just not how you do business. But looking back at it, I mean, maybe he knew something in terms of Andrew Luck. And, you know, if you're going to go and take that job, you think you have an elite quarterback in Andrew Luck, and then all of a sudden maybe you find out some in insider information that we, of course, did not know at the time. Maybe that's why you went about it. But uh, again, I, I wouldn't be too, too excited about that. But the other coach GM co uh, combination, Jay, that has everybody buzzing in the NFL is John Dorsey and Eric Bieniemy, of course, of the Kansas City Chiefs. And our colleague Tony Pauline here at the Believe Network had some interesting things to say about that. Jay, you want to get into that? Yeah, and uh, his last, I guess it was um, not necessarily with Believe, but it was the work that he does with uh, PFN, Pro Football Network. Uh, they basically did their little uh, daily or weekly telecast on uh, Periscope. And uh, he mentioned that the Jaguars were one of the teams that I don't think they he was saying that they are involved on the Dorsey and Bienemy sweepstakes. But they're one of the teams that, you know, people are hearing wants to get involved on getting those two. And uh, I mean, the unique thing about Dorsey is uh, he's currently if I can recall, he's he's jobless right now. 
Uh, but we all know he came from that Kansas City Chiefs tree. Uh, and then he left there and went to the Cleveland Browns. Uh, made a lot of crazy trades. I know you can remember those, Phil. It was like uh, Odell Beckham, a few other guys that he got into the equation. Then he was he had the hand in drafting. Living uh, Vernon. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Drafted Baker Mayfield with the first overall pick, if I can recall. Um, but eventually that didn't work out. I think they ended up with two wins that season and they fired him. Uh, but I mean, I think more so like that was a, a situation where the coach wasn't right. Uh, I forget. Was it Freddie Kitchens? I think was the coach at the time. Uh, so, yeah, I don't think Freddie Kitchens was the right coach for that situation. Didn't really salvage that talent uh, because you look at him now. That team is that Dorsey essentially built is the team that's having success right now. It's just got a different coach, and that's Kevin Stefanski. So, um, I mean, the thing with Dorsey, though, it does concern me that he got fired from two jobs within the span of, like, three years or whatever the case may be. Uh, but, again, like, I look at that situation and look at uh, the pieces that are in place in Kansas City still that he had a, a part in getting there and the pieces that are still in play with the uh, Cleveland Browns as well. And a lot of those pieces, you know, he's had his hand in. So, like, I guess it's intriguing from that standpoint. Uh, but, again, like, for me personally, I don't want a guy that's been fired from two or three jobs in the last two or three years. Now, the enemy now, yeah, of course, like me, you have talked about the enemy and wanting him. I'm cool with that. Uh, my only thing is, and this does include his parent with Dorsey, if they're going to do that. But my only thing is, I think the Houston Texans and Atlanta Falcons have a better chance to get him. Quite, uh, I mean, to be quite honest with you, I mean, I'm a Falcons fan secondarily. Uh, they have a quarterback in Matt Ryan who, I mean, you would think they're not getting rid of Matt Ryan anytime soon with that contract. They can't get rid of Julio Jones anytime soon with that contract. So from that standpoint, they have a veteran quarterback in place. And then you go to the Houston, Texas, they have a veteran quarterback in place as well. Uh, those are variables that the Jacksonville Jaguars don't have, albeit the Jacksonville Jaguars do have more draft compensation than those teams, uh, more salary cap than those teams. And the Jacksonville Jaguars probably are going to walk into what the number two overall pick. Uh, the only kicker is, uh, you know, those guys, the other teams that I mentioned have franchise quarterbacks. And I mean, just to kind of go back to what we said a few weeks ago, if you're Eric B enemy, sometimes you want to go into the safest a situation possible and not only the safest situation possible but a place that's going to give you the adequate time uh to rebuild i don't know about the time aspect of it but it feels like houston might be safer in terms of the quarterback and uh atlanta might be safer in terms of the quarterback uh but if you're looking from it for a time a time aspect and how much time he get i think jacksonville might be more intriguing in those two spots Right. I know a lot of people, maybe some Jaguars fans as well, think, you know, well, what can be so appealing about the Houston Texans job? You know, they got no draft capital. The the um, the salary cap is a mess. But, you know, we talked about this when we had James on from uh, Texans Unfiltered. You know, all that can be fixed when you have the quarterback. That's half the battle right there. And Houston has the quarterback in place, which is why, just like you, Jay, I feel like that is going to be the most appealing. Could you imagine? I mean, going from Patrick Mahomes to Deshaun Watson, there's not very much drop off whatsoever. There, this is a conversation that a lot of national pundits have all the time. Is if if Deshaun Watson were in Kansas City, there wouldn't be much, if at all, drop off between those two guys. So I definitely think they're going to have the inside track on the enemy. Of course, he's going to be 
the hot name, but that doesn't mean that Jacksonville is not going to get a great candidate. And, uh, you know, the last question I'll ask you, Jay, before we get out of here is one thing that I, I've, I've tried to tell a lot of people is, you know, say if the Jets and the Jaguars are in play for some of these big name coaches and GMs, it's really going to come down to if everything pans out the way that we expect it to. Who do you want to hit your horse to? Do you want it to be Trevor Lawrence or do you want it to be Justin Fields? Because you're going to be tied to the hip of that quarterback for the entirety of your run. Look what just happened to Dave Caldwell with Blake Bortles. So, you know, if you were if, if you were looking at if you were one of these head coaching candidates and you looked at the totality of things, you know, which one of those quarterbacks are you hitching your wagon to if you had the opportunity? Is the is the gap between Fields and Lawrence you know, monumental, or do you think it's a lot closer, which seems to kind of be gaining a little bit more traction around the league? I think me personally, I don't think if you're from the standpoint of the Jacksonville Jaguars trading up to the first overall pick, I know that's come up a lot. Um, I don't think Fields and Lawrence have a big enough gap to give up what it would take to move to that spot. So I answer that first. Um, which I feel like will probably be a first that the Rams gave you. You'll probably have to give them your uh, one of your seconds and probably one of your third uh, round picks, which to me, the move up one spot, that's a little pricey uh, when considering like to me, like I said, Fields and Lawrence aren't in that big of a gap between each other. Although, I mean, I do, I'm more of a Fields guy, but I'm well aware that Lawrence is probably the better quarterback, if that makes sense. Uh, so that being said, in terms of, you know, if you're a GM candidate and who you want to hit your wagon to, I guess like one thing you have to consider is not just because that's a that's kind of a trick question, Phil, because you're you're not just hitching your wagon to those quarterbacks, but you're hitching your wagon to the situation that comes uh, with those quarterbacks and those organizations as well. Uh, whereas, you know, you're going to the Jets where they may have Trevor Lawrence, but at the same time, they don't have the weapons that the Jacksonville Jaguars have to put around Justin Fields, if that makes sense. Uh, so, like, I think, like, you know, if you're a GM, you have to consider that. Like, hey, I'm going to a situation with Trevor Lawrence where it may be more of a building process than it would be uh, with Justin Fields and the Jacksonville Jaguars because the Jacksonville Jaguars not only have uh, a lot of draft picks, they have 11 in all, uh, they also have a lot of salary cap. They can bring some veterans into the situation. And additionally, the Jacksonville Jaguars already have pieces in place uh, that would be paired with Justin Fields. So to me, that feels like a better situation because, you know, you're getting Justin Fields, who's going to be paired with James Robinson, LaVisca Chenault, uh, DJ Chark, so on and so forth. So from an aspect, I, I think the kicker that would answer that question in the mind of a GM is the fact that the Jacksonville Jaguars already have some pieces in place on the roster uh, that make them feel like a better team without either quarterback as of right now right yeah that's uh, that's some good insight there that's why i wanted to ask you that question i knew i'd get a good answer out of you because uh, you know it's, it's it's of course it's going to be everything you know in terms of what a lot of people look on the outside looking in you know just from a casual standpoint who's it going to be who you know some people may even say trade all those assets go get trevor lawrence he's a generational guy and then there are some people like you and me, I think, who think the gap is a little bit smaller. Now, again, I, I agree with you. I think Trevor Lawrence is the better quarterback. But I, I, I also believe that the ceiling for Justin Fields could be could be very, very high. One guy that definitely thinks I think his ceiling is really high is DJ Chark because they now follow each other on Instagram. I, try, I, I figured I would point out shout out to Boogie 
we'll give him that little uh, <laughs> that little shine right there for letting us know. Um, but yeah, guys, you know, that's it as far as this episode goes. We wanted to, of course, cover a little bit of the game, but then also what everybody wants to discuss right now, which is going to be the future of the team. Uh, but Jay, we'll get out of here very shortly. Anything else you want to let people know about to look forward to right here in the podcast, as well as over on the Jaguars wire. Uh, yeah, man, you know how we do in terms of preparing everybody for the next opponent. Um, we're This time it'll be the Baltimore Ravens, of course. So me and Phil were actually talking about looking to get a guest on. Uh, we actually do have Believe Comrades that cover uh, the Ravens. So we could look in that direction. Uh, we can look towards the uh, the Ravens wire as well. Uh, but yeah, we'll try and get you something. Being that we're getting this podcast out early, it gives us that luxury to loop around and do another one. Another one around uh wednesday or thursday and have a guest on in the process and then i mean uh depending on when you all get uh hear this podcast uh it's a sunday right now a sunday night after the game uh, i'll probably get some stuff up on monday in terms of recapping the game winners and losers are coming up of the game that's going to be done by robert ricks i'll do the good bad and the ugly on the game as well and we might look at some pff grades uh, when those come in as well in terms of who looked good and who looked bad, which on, on you know, to the eye, it looks like a lot of the Jaguars look bad against the Titans this week. But uh, PFF might say a different thing. You know, sometimes they tell a part of the story that we don't see. Uh, so that being said, you know, we'll look into that, get that up. And then after we cover that, you know, on to Tuesday, where we'll start talking about the Baltimore Ravens on the Jaguars wire and previewing them. That's right, folks. No shortage of things to look forward to right here on the Believe in the Jaguars podcast as well as over on the Jaguars Wire. Again, if you are enjoying the show, please head over to Apple Podcasts. Subscribe and rate five stars. We would really, really appreciate it. You can also find us on Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, and TuneIn. And, of course, we are on Believe.com and at Believe Podcast. As a reminder, you can follow us on Believe in Jags Pod on Twitter, also the Jaguars Wire. Myself, Phil the Filipino, F-I-L-I-P-I-N-O, and Jay is over at SportsGrind underscore Don. This has been Believe in the Jaguars right here on the Believe Podcast Network. We believe. Do you? We'll see you next time, guys. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.